good morning everyone. If you want to come and take your seat, we're going to, um, we're going to kick off. I'm going to be continuing in the series that we've been looking at over recent weeks that we've entitled Love Poured Out. We've been looking at the 24 hours leading up to Jesus' crucifixion and subsequent resurrection and the words that he said as recorded in John's Gospel. So if you come and take your seats then we'll um, hear more about that. But I wanted to start by recommending a book to you. This is a book by a guy called Michael Reeves. It's called Christ Our Life. I've reread this book over the last number of days and it has done me such a lot of good because this book really just unpacks exactly who Jesus is and exactly how great a gift he is to us. It, it, it's got very short chapters. I just opened it up in a picture of a skull, actually, which is interesting enough. But So there's lots to keep everyone entertained. Short chapters, short sections, very readable. And we always say in Oasis, if a book's good enough to recommend, it's good enough to give away. So if you look under your seat, someone will have a sheet of paper that says, Christ our life, you've won on it. Uh, I happen to know who that is. It's my friend Williams. So um, have that, my friend. Great. Okay. Who, anyone here been skiing before? Anyone be, yeah, okay. I've been skiing. I've been skiing once before. Ten years ago, I went to the French Alps, and I really loved it. But one memory particularly sticks out for me. Uh, button lifts. Now, <laughs> button lifts are the things that enable you to go from the bottom of a slope up to the top, and then just gently ski down. And, and the key to... Mounting a button lift successfully is just to allow it to... You, what you'll see is it's a, it's, a, it's a pole with a, a seat on the bottom of it attached to a cable, a bit like a zip wire. And the key is you just allow it to come around and you grab the pole and you put the seat between your legs and you just let it take you away. Okay, Let it do all the work. And best just to keep your eyes up at the top of the mountain and just take in the snowy alpine peaks and let the button lift just pull you along. Well... I was getting used to this and perhaps got a little bit overconfident one, one day when we were skiing and I just thought, I'm going to just look at my skis at this moment in time and shift my weight around a bit and I wonder what will happen if I just go on one ski. Well, I can tell you what happens is it's really not very pretty at all and um, what happened was the seat popped out from underneath me, got caught in my coat, and literally I was getting dragged up this slope in a puff of snow with skis and limbs and sticks coming out. Becca tells me from the bottom of the mountain all you could see was this snowy heap with a couple of limbs and sticks here and there. Um, for me, it was all pretty embarrassing. For everyone else, pretty hilarious. Um, the, I didn't cry. <laughs> I promise you, my, my tear ducts are far too frozen. Here's, um, here, here's the truth. I'm pretty good at getting myself in a right old tangle. I, I'm, I'm pre pretty good at that. My biggest struggles in life are generally when I become a bit too introspective, looking too much at myself, retreating to my own thoughts and feelings, and allowing that to dictate my view of life. And this... I just wanted to be up front, has been my experience even over the last few days. 
I feel like I have recently, as it were, been ascending a mountain with God. And it's been so exciting as I've seen more of his goodness and his grace and his provision. And then um, over the last week or so, it feels like on and off, not all the time, a cloud's kind of come over my mind and it's all gotten a bit foggy. And I've been harassed now and then by certain doubts and fears. Like, how can I really know God accepts me? Or look how small your faith is, Mike. Or how unimpressive is your story? Or how could you possibly get up to preach to people? And those types of thoughts, the problem is they tend to draw us in to look further in at ourselves. And it's easy to retreat into your own thoughts and feelings and feel like you need to drum up a feeling of assurance here or squeeze out some faith or think yourself out of the thoughts that you've gotten yourself into. But it just creates a further, further tangle of confusion, like puffy snow with limbs jangling out everywhere. That's been my battle over recent days. Old securities previously dealt with rearing their ugly heads. I don't know, maybe for, for some of you, you can relate to moments like that. Here's what I've relearned again over recent days. It is only through seeing Jesus that peace and comfort and truth and confidence and joy comes. Each time I've lifted my eyes to him, actually what I've found is the darkness of doubt has been dissipated by the beauty of his light. And looking in, there's no light to be found, but looking up, there's beauty. And it chases it away. Because it's a bit like putting on the correct lenses and everything sharpens and you see it clearly. So it is when we look to Jesus. He is the fount of every blessing. He's the God of all comfort. He's the light that pierces our darkness. And Isaiah 42 tells us, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. So Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher of the 19th century, says, it is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite to this, for he is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, or our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to the soul. If we would at once overcome Satan and have peace with God, it must be by looking unto Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to look unto Jesus together. We're going to set our gaze aright, so I'm going to preach Christ to you. And I'm going to preach Christ to me. And we need to keep doing that daily, preaching Christ to ourselves and allowing him to lift us up. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at John 17 and we're going to start in verse 20. And Adrian started um, the first part of this two-parter really two weeks ago. What we find in John 17 is Jesus, just before he's about to be arrested is praying to his father. And in this particular section, he's praying for us, for you and for me. So this is Jesus' message for you and for me. This is what he's saying. My prayer is not for them alone, his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. 
I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have given me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Two weeks ago, Adrian um, started looking at the Trinity for us. And we're going to return there again this morning. This God, one God in three persons, like a joyful dance. We're going to return there because it's only as we see the true nature of God that we can appreciate his affection for us and how great a confidence we can have in him. And so we're going to look at transforming unity and then transforming community, and then very briefly, a transforming hope, which Jesus prays for us here. Jesus here is celebrating, that, is celebrating his relationship with his Father. He says, I pray also that those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be in us. Jesus here celebrates his unity with the Father. He and his Father are one. God has always been Father. And he has always delighted in his Son. And he has always communicated that delight through his spirit of love and blessing. Like a sweet harmony of three notes joined together to make a beautiful sound. So it is with our God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, completely united, one. So to know the Son is to know the Father. For Jesus is the exact likeness of the Father. Jesus says in John 14 verse 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Look to Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 tells us he is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. And then in in 1 John 1 verse 5, it tells us God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. So it's like this. Jesus is the shimmering, beautiful radiance of the light of God by which we know what he's really like. He is the light by which we see light, as Psalm 39 puts it. By him we recognise what is true about God. His light is made known to us. He and his Father are one. So when the Bible tells us in the first chapter of John's Gospel that Jesus came from the Father, full of grace and truth... Because that's precisely what God is like, full of grace and truth. Jesus is just like his father. He's a chip off the old block. He and his father are one. And so Jesus tells us in John 5, 19, that he only ever does what he sees his father doing. He copies his father because he's been looking adoringly at his father for all eternity. And what has the father been doing all that time? Loving his son. Loving him, pouring out love and blessing upon him, giving of himself to his son. And we see that here in John 17, 24, as Jesus says of the Father, you loved me before the creation of the world. I do this thing with my girls. Um, When I'm in a room and they come in, I'll say to them, um, who goes there? And um, normally, so recently it's Anna. Anna, your daughter. (laughs) And then I'll say, 
who is your daddy and what does he do? Um, which some of you will recognize as a line from Kindergarten Cop, which is a great Arnie, Arnie film, Arnie Schwarzenegger. Um, who is your daddy and what does he do? An animal normally say, you are my daddy and you do football. That's <laughs> what so she thinks I do. She must have seen me play. Um, so, um, who is your daddy, what does he do? But yesterday she said, you are my daddy and you care for us. Oh yeah, that's right. And in this little exchange with whichever of the girls it is, I then normally always say, and who does daddy love? And they go, me! And they know they're going to get all sorts of hugs and bundles of love and affection at that moment. Ask Jesus, who is your daddy and what does he do? He says, my daddy, my Abba, is the almighty God and he pours love and blessing over me. John 17, 24, you loved me since before the creation of the world. The father is besotted with his son. The prophet speaks of it in Isaiah 42.1 as God declares Jesus to be my chosen one in whom I delight. And Colossians 1.16 tells us of Jesus that all things were created by him and for him. He was joined with the father in creation. All things were made by him. But more than that, all things were created for him. It's like creation, all that we see is the father's gift of love to his son. Or if you like, creation is like the incarnation of the love that exists between Father, Son, Holy Spirit, birthing creation. So at the very beginning of John's Gospel, we read these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything has been made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus is the eternal word of God. That Jesus is the way God expresses himself. He's the word of God. And he's the word that went forth from the Father and the beginning in love to create all things with the Holy Spirit's power hovering over the waters. You can read it in Genesis. So... All the beauty of mountain tops and oceans deep and starry hosts and golden plains, they are the result of the life giving love of God, birthing more life. And when the Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us, that was to give us new life. And now Hebrews 1 3 tells us that Jesus continues to sustain all things by his powerful Word, like a Vince Ricketts sustained sung note, ah, which he does so much better than I do. So the son sustains all things by his powerful word. Mike Reeves puts it like this in that book. For eternity, the word was spoken out, telling of a God of overflowing life. And for eternity, the son was cherished, telling of a God of bottomless love. Jesus and his father are one. What is God like? He is a God brimming with self-giving, life-giving, poured out love. We see it at Jesus' baptism, recorded in Matthew's gospel. As the son comes out of the water, the spirit descends upon him, communicating to him what the father shouts out for everyone to hear. This is my son, whom I love. In him, I am well pleased. Pleased. 
we see Father, Son, Holy Spirit delighting in one another. This is a self-giving, life-giving, generous God of love whose light and warmth and goodness always pours out to draw others in. Now, having spent some time reminding you what God is like and who he is, hear afresh the immensity of some of the most familiar words in the Bible. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God so loved us that he gave his son in whom is all life that we may be taken up into that life. He gave us his son, his beloved son, his delight, his word. What love is this? Here in John 17, 21, after celebrating that he is in the Father and the Father in him, Jesus utters these words. He says, may they also be in us. As Jesus is approaching the cross, this is the express purpose that is before him to cause us to be united to him by faith and caught up into that life-giving, self-giving love. Us, even us, even you, even me. Guilty, sinful, confused, bruised, smouldering. He prays for us, so prone to making ourselves the centre of all things. He prays here for us that we may be untangled, unfurled, uncurved and join in this love of God. God's very nature is to be self-giving, life-giving, sharing his abundant goodness. He's always been like that. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, delighting in one another. So it is of little surprise that the salvation he offers us is precisely this, to give us himself, to impart to us his life to share with us his scintillating love, to unite us to him, to be in his joy. And so in verse 22, Jesus says to his father, the glory you have given me, I have given them. And then within 24 hours of uttering those words, Jesus would be nailed to the cross. His arms that stretched out the heavens in love would be stretched out on a wooden cross in love. And in doing so, like a wedding vow, Jesus says to us, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. And we simply say in faith, I do. I accept. He invites us to share with him all that we have. Our guilt, our shame, our sin, our confusion, our death to say to him all I have I share with you and in exchange he shares with us all that he has his perfect righteousness his unlimited love his eternal life his fullness of joy we give him our brokenness he gives us his wholeness so when he calls us to repent the call is simply leave your death and enter my life that's what it is all that I am, I give you. All I have, I share with you. So what becomes true of him now becomes true of us. We too have the love of the Father. And so in verse 23, Jesus says, you've loved them even as you loved me. 
Father God loves you with all the enthusiasm with which he loves his only begotten son. So John Owen, an old Puritan preacher who struggled with these things himself in life, came to the revelation that you can in no way more burden or trouble the Father as to refuse to believe he loves you. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us. Yes, even when you're tangled up like button lift labor. Yes, even when you don't feel it. Yes, when your thoughts are storms of doubt. Yes, he loves you. And he gives himself to you. On Friday, I was looking after Anna and Ivy, because Becca works on a Friday, and I look after the girls. And um, we thought it would be fun to have a picnic in the attic. Um, <laughs> I thought it would be fun to have a picnic in the attic. So I got down the, um, the loft ladder and carried the lunch up and then carried Ivy up. And Ivy, for whatever reason, at one point, didn't feel as safe as she might want to feel. And um, she, I guess, looked down, looked at me, and she said, Daddy, have you got me? Daddy, have you got me? And I said to her, yes, Ivy, of course I've got you. And her exclamation was this. She said, yay, Daddy's got me. <laughs> it was the most beautiful thing. I felt it was a gift from God. Of course, Ivy, I've got you. Now, we don't need to mention this to Mummy. She doesn't need to, <laughs> she doesn't need to know about this. <laughs> All of us go through moments in life when we can feel wobbly and uncertain and start to wonder, God, have you got me? Am I going to fall? God would have us look to Jesus and his love poured out. And like Ivy exclaimed, yay, daddy's got me. My father in heaven's got me. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Notice John does not say, feel what kind of love. Nor does he say, think really hard to work up what kind of love. He says, see, see what kind of love the Father has what begrudgingly given us, kind of thrown our way, no, lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. He pours himself out for us. And as we look to him and we see and we realize this is true, our hearts become warm and we start to feel it. And our song must be, yes, Lord, great is thy faithfulness. There is no shadow or turning in thee. Yes. Perhaps like me, at times this week, you're feeling a little bit like a bruised reed or a smouldering wick. Maybe you feel like you're flickering and you're harassed and barely even a light. Jesus comes to you and says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Or perhaps you've never seen Jesus and this is the first time and you're starting to realize how good he is. Jesus says, come, leave your sin, enter in. Enter in and cry out, Abba, Father, with me. In Jesus' prayer, we see transforming unity. And much more briefly, he prays that we would therefore be a transforming community. Jesus says, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. 
And then I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And then he says, may they be brought to complete unity. But why is this so important? Why is our unity so vital? Well, he goes on in verse 23 explaining, it is to let the world know that you've sent me and that you've loved them even as you loved me. Jesus prays for our unity with one another because he knows that by it, the world will see who he is and what he's like. Which means if it's not there, who are the world seeing? This is a great provocation to us. So what does it look like to be a community united like the love of our triune God? Well, it means at least three things. One, it means delighting in our differences. We should be a community that's full of variety and yet completely united together, joined. So that unity is not sameness. Our unity is not produced by restriction or by rules or by conformity or by everyone looking the same and speaking the same and doing the same. Rather, the community of God should be a kaleidoscope of colour, joined together like colours on a canvas which produce a masterpiece that reveal an artist who has been at work. We do not look the same or talk the same or dress the same or listen to the same music or eat the same food. There are some cultures and religious groups for whom unity means sameness and where difference engenders a kind of violent response, not so the community of the triune God. We, like him, enjoy unity and diversity. Of course, there's, a, there's, there's some recognisable similarities. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit that show who we're united to. So there's that family resemblance. But no, that doesn't mean that our personalities or our tastes or our giftings are the same. They're gloriously different. We get to delight in that. So uh, it's not sameness, but equally it's not just mere tolerance. The word tolerance is prized as such a high value in our culture, in our society. It's like the holy grail. But what does tolerance imply? Well, we just have to put up with each other. It implies, well, you are different to me, and I'm just going to have to lump it and tolerate it. No, not so with the community of the triune God. We delight, celebrate our differences, celebrate the multicultural expressions amongst us. I get to love you because you're so different to me on the one hand and yet so much the same as me on the other because of the God to whom we're united. So I can enjoy the way you dress and the way you talk and your dance moves. I mean, last night, <laughs> Colin Wallace had some serious dance moves and I did not. <laughs> I get to enjoy that, not feel undermined by it. I get to enjoy your sense of humour, the colour of your skin, the tone of your voice, the quirks of your personality, because in so doing, we reflect a glorious God, completely one, and yet diversity within him. The community of God delights in differences. And secondly, our unity together is marked by life-giving love. The love of the triune God is inherently life-giving, resulting in creation, resulting in salvation, resulting in new creation. And so in like manner, our unity should have a life-giving flavour to it. This includes being a place where you can be completely known. You don't have to wear masks. You don't have to pretend. There's nothing that saps life quite as much as feeling like you can't be yourself. You have to pretend. 
Jesus invites you to union with him in full awareness of your flaws, of your weaknesses, of your fears, of your doubts, of your troubles. And so in like manner as the community of God, it needs to be a place where people can disclose their fears and their doubts and their flaws and their troubles, knowing they will not be judged but accepted. Such a community where you don't have to pretend it's life-giving. It's life-giving. Because it breaks the power of your fears and your flaws and your doubts, enabling you to walk free. When you can say, this is me, warts and all, and, so, and the community says, we love you. Oh, wow. It reflects something of the triune God and who he is. We're to be a life-giving community. In the summer, I was able to stand up before you, and I did cry. I was able to stand up before you with tears streaming down my face and and just talk to you about my burnout experience, knowing it would not in any way leave me less esteemed, less loved, or less respected. Oasis Church, when I was struggling with life, you brought life back to me, and you looked a lot like the triune God in doing so. It was a moment of reflecting again who he is. We need to keep building this kind of life-giving community. No masks, please. I tell you, people look in, they see it's miraculous. We heard that last week in the baptisms, just stories of came amongst you and there's just this friendliness that I couldn't almost escape from, this ability to just be myself. Beck and I have a friend who's come along to Oasis a number of times and she always ends up tearful. We asked her, why is that? And she says, there's just such a sense of love in this room. And I think, oh, good news. We're reflecting who our God is. We're looking a lot like our father. Who is your daddy? What does he do? (laughs) So our community is to be one that delights in difference, that is self-giving, that is life-giving, and that also is self-giving, self-giving. Our glorious God does not withhold anything of himself from us. And Jesus, God, has completely given himself to us. And as we receive of him, it empowers us to give, not to take, but to give of ourselves to one another. So what does this look like? It looks like encouraging one another. When I see things in you, which I think, oh, that's beautiful. That's a fruit of the Spirit. Do you know this shows you're united to Christ? Look at your kindness. Look at your goodness. We speak it out so we may be encouraged and built, built up by that. It means we celebrate one another. Vince and Debbie Ricketts have been married for 34 years today. We celebrate moments like that. We rejoice in them. It means we serve one another. It means we own each other's challenges. And at times that means being slow to speak and quick to listen. It means making every attempt to try and understand each other's world, not presuming to know. Being slow to criticise and quick to show grace, it does such harm to the gospel when everyone outside just sees squabbles within the church. They can't see Jesus. We're not about building empire, we're about showing his kingdom. Such a beautiful thing to be a a people that delight in diversity, that's life-giving, that's self-giving. Bruce Milne says this, it says, the gospel proclaimed from the pulpit is either confirmed and hence immeasurably enhanced or it is contradicted and hence immeasurably weakened by the quality of the relationships in the pews. Listen to this. This is a challenge. The biggest barriers to effective evangelism, according to the prayer of Jesus, are not so much outdated methods or inadequate presentations of the gospel 
as realities like gossip, insensitivity, negative criticism, jealousy, backbiting, an unforgiving spirit, a root of bitterness, failures to appreciate others, self-preoccupation, greed, selfishness, and every other form of lovelessness. Let's continue to allow God to form us into a community of self-giving, life-giving love, where those traits listed by Milne just can't survive, consumed in him. How? By working hard? No. No, that, that won't produce any good fruit. How? By pausing, centering on him, drinking in the truth of who God is and continuing in his love. And we do that here on Sundays. We do that in our small groups. We do that in various other expressions in which we meet outside of, of the Sunday morning. And as others come into contact, they'll see we've been with Jesus. It's beautiful. Jesus calls us to transforming unity, to be a transforming community. And in 30 seconds, he calls us to transforming hope. Because he says in verse 24, Father, I want those who you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. One day, our faith shall be sight. We will see him. And the Bible says when we see him as he is, we will be like him. Because there's a sense in which it's not just a beholding, but it's a being caught up in sight. And that's what we're called to. And it's everything our heart desires. You know how sometimes you want to package a good moment, which is why we take snaps or we take video camcorders or we say of a really cute baby, I could just eat you. And you're like, really? But what we mean is you're just so lovely, I kind of want to take it in. Well, there will be a moment when we will be in in all the beauty of the love of God poured out, and we will know unfiltered his goodness and his love and his life because of Jesus. Now we know in part, then we will know in full. Even as we're fully known, this is our glorious transforming hope. Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray. I'm going to stay here at the front at the end and um, there'll be one or two others around us. You may be someone who feels like, yeah, smouldering wick, bruised reed, that's me. We'd love to pray for you that you might have your eyes lifted, see who Jesus is. Maybe you've never known him and your heart has been turned as I've spoken today. You've seen God is more wonderful than you imagined. Well, he's yours. You can come even now and say, I want him in my life. Perhaps you've been kind of on the receiving end of not feeling in a community where you're loved and you're valued for who you are. Come in, I'd love to pray for you that you'd know healing from that. Why don't we just close our eyes? Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you are so good and we are so prone to miss you and to think of you as less than you are. We're so prone to start looking in on ourselves and feel like, we need to do something more or work something up when all the time you just freely give of yourself to us. And so, Spirit of God, help us to see Jesus more clearly and in him to rest, in him to delight. And would you fan into flame that love and faith and passion for you, which inevitably results in good works, which inevitably results in a community 
where people can come in and know the transformation themselves. And we ask this for the glory of Jesus, who we adore. Amen.